Well, good morning, Grace. How are we doing today? You guys doing well? I'd like to say good morning to all of those in the North Auditorium, all of those sitting in the South Auditorium. Good morning to you. Maybe you didn't know that, but right behind this wall is another auditorium. You should really make your way over there sometime and check it out and, and, um, and capture a service over there sometime. But we also have a third uh, venue, uh, and it's a virtual venue. It's our, our online uh, venue, the second service. We stream live, and so if you're tuning in live, uh, we'd like to welcome you as well. My name is Pastor Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the Karen Connections pastor here at Grace, and I have the privilege of, of walking us through this series that we have been in called Why and What We Believe, and we've been looking at various uh, views in our culture and our society, and we've been holding that up against God's Word. And, and we, uh, we, we've, been, we've been looking at what God's Word says about different topics, and it's important as followers of Christ that we have a biblical worldview. Uh, we have competing views that, that hit us all day long, every single day uh, from the media and from podcasts and books and, and schools and universities, magazines, political proponents, right? Everybody has um, a world view. It's not a question if you have a world view. The question is, do you have a biblical world view? And so here's the big problem. We're bombarded with all of these, these different uh, views and here's the deal, because we're naturally prone to be seduced by what appeals to our flesh as humans, uh, or what makes sense in our minds, or what just feels right, we begin to incorporate these different worldviews, these unbiblical worldviews, with our own biblical worldviews, and they're all kind of this big tangled mess. At times, And so today, uh, and what we've been trying to do throughout this series is kind of unravel that mess in your mind and take a step back and look at what God's Word says uh, about various, various topics, okay? And in the end, the reality, and you know this, is it's our decisions and our actions that actually reveal what we believe, right? You could say you believe something, uh, but... Uh, Show me your actions, right? Show me, show me how you react, and, and, uh, and that, that's what really reveals what we believe. And as followers of Christ, we, we capture and we embrace God's worldview, and we trust it with unwavering faith, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it grinds up against culture. And that happens a lot, right? We grind up against the worldview of culture. Jesus himself said that when we have a biblical worldview, when we follow Christ, when we, when we take a look at God's word and we align our lives with that, that there's going to be some people that are going to hate you for that right? And then there's going to be some other people that take a look at your life and how you're living your life, and it's going to be very attractive to them. It's going to be very attractive to them. Paul said this. He said that we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing, okay? And so today, uh, we want to look at the topic of the sanctity of human life, and we want to see what God's Word says about that. You know, there is a wholesale dehumanization that takes place every day in our culture 
against the sanctity of human life. And uh, there are some days that, you know, we're not really overtly reminded of that. And then there's other days, like this morning, um, I, like, like probably you did, woke up to the news of another mass shooting um, in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, this is now, last I checked the news, it could be more than this now. I, I don't know, but the last I checked this morning, it was like 29 people in the last 24 hours from a, a shooting in El Paso, Texas, where 20 people lost their life by a gunman. Uh, and then uh, nine people, the last I heard, in Dayton, uh, lost their life. So what that means is that we're confronted with the affront or the attack on the sanctity of human life, and it's very real in our minds right now, right? When we wake up and we see the news, we see the evil, um, we see the de dehumanization of people, we're confronted with that. And I think it would be fitting and right in light of, of uh, what's going on right now. There's a lot of hurting people with a lot of pain right now, lost loved ones. I think it would be good for us just to stop and just to pray. Can, would you do that with me this morning, Lord? Oh, Lord, we need you. Um, we, we need you to show up in lives, Lord, that um, are feeling helpless and feeling hopeless. And, and there's just so much pain. And there's just so much hurt. And there's so many questions. And God, in the middle of all that, you speak. You show up. And, and God, I pray that you would bring comfort. And you would bring peace. And God, uh, that you would point people to yourself as a result of this, Lord. I, I, I lift up these dear families who lost, they're waking up losing a, a mother or father, a son or a daughter, an uncle, a friend. Um, it's, just, uh, it's just so sad, Lord. And so God, do what you do best in times like this. God, I pray for the church that would arise in El Paso and Dayton and do what you've created the church to do, that you would step in and, and help uh, people to be able to lock eyes and, and administer the hope of Jesus through a, just through a touch and, and through a prayer and, and through just caring for people with love and compassion, Lord. Meet these people in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I also recognize that as uh, we're going to look at the sanctity of human life, that for some of you, um, this brings up some pain in your own life, and it speaks to a place uh, in some of your lives um, because maybe you made the choice to end the life of an unborn child, uh, maybe when you were younger years ago, and, and, uh, and so today I, I recognize that this is a heavy topic, and I want to speak with complete 100% truth today, um, but I also want to speak with uh, just the grace of Jesus, and I don't want to speak in a way that stirs up or uh, brings any sort of shame or condemnation up in you. Um, and I want to remind you today that God's word says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus does not condemn you. He, he forgives and, um, and there is grace uh, through Jesus. And so if that's where you are today, uh, and I, 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 I'm sorry for, for uh, bringing up this pain in your life. And uh, we want to walk alongside of you as well if that's you. And so just know that uh, from, 
uh, from the start as well. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, if you need a Bible this morning, go ahead and raise your hand real high. We have ushers that would love to put one in your hand. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read together uh, verses 26 through 31. Genesis 1, we're going to read 26 through 31. So when you find that, go ahead and stand and leap to your feet, church, and uh, we're going to read this out loud together. Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Ready? Let's read this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that he had made, and it was what? It was, what was it again? And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. You may have a seat. And so what we see happen in this passage is a huge shift from the verses that were leading up to it, right? The verses leading up to it, we saw God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. And then all of a sudden, there's just this massive shift that we come to in verse 26. And and if this was a movie soundtrack playing, okay, uh, there would be this huge crescendo that would take place, right? And, and you can kind of, you know, the, the kind of crescendo that builds and you're kind of on the edge of your seat and you know something big is happening, right? That's the kind of crescendo that I'm talking about uh, with this massive shift that takes place in verse 26 because we're introduced for the very first time the triune nature of God, right? Uh, we, we see the Trinity right here in front of us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where, where God says, let us make mankind in our image. See, human beings alone have been made in the image of God. Humans are created differently and more valuable than everything else in the created world order. Humans, you are the crown. You are the the jewel in God's crown. That's what's taking place here. And we see that so, so vividly uh, when God created mankind in the image of God. Now, uh, we also uh, hear the phrase, maybe you've heard the phrase imago Dei. We live, it's a Latin word for image of God. And so even though every single person that has ever lived and, and is living now, you and I, we bear the image 
of God. And here's the thing. Uh, even if you sin, even if you reject God, even if you're sitting here today and you're, re- you're in rebellion against God and you're living opposite of what he wants for you, you still bear the image of God. Now, uh, when we sin, we distort the image of God. We, we, we do. We, we distort the copy uh, the image of God is the copy, right? We're, we're to copy and emulate the image of God, and, and, and that means that our heart beats to God's heartbeat, uh, and, 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 uh, but, but as humans, sin enters the world, and, and uh, you and I sin, even though we sin, even though somebody could be very, very far from God, they still have the image of God. And, and that is why Jesus came, right? Because there's still hope. He, he, he comes to redeem us, right? And to, and to take that distorted copy of our lives, the rebellion that we've lived under because of sin, and, 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 and transform us and to create us into the image and likeness of, of Jesus Christ. And there's a, a difference in the created order, a very clear difference. We as humans stand alone in those who have been created in the image of God. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you have pets, animals in your house, small zoo like us? Raise your hand high. All right. Very good. Uh, How many of you have been able to just be, just avert all of that altogether? Raise your hand because clap for these people. That's amazing that you've been able to do that. That's awesome. Um, But we have a small zoo. I want to introduce to you. I don't have any pictures or anything. I was thinking about maybe bringing our, my pets up on stage. That'd just be a little weird. But I, I want to kind of tell you about our zoo in our house. Our zoo would be, let me just say this, our zoo would be a lot bigger if my wife had her way. This has been the source of most of the conflict in our marriage in the almost 28 years that we've been married. I'm not even joking. This issue has been the source of the most conflict. Now, uh, that's another series probably on relationships or something that we do later. So, but we have a zoo. Uh, we have a dog, and dog. Uh, the dog's name is Hurley. His name is Hurley, and if you've ever met Hurley, he is the, he's not created in the image of God, so I can say this. He's ugly. Like, he, he's cute in his own way, okay? He has big, bushy eyebrows, and my wife uh, gave him a haircut, uh, she gave him a haircut, but she decided to leave the big bushy eyebrows. So he just looks kind of cool, actually. He looks kind of cool. Uh, but that's Hurley. And, uh, and then we have a red-footed tortoise. And uh, those things, you know those things live like 50 years. We're stuck with this thing for a really long time. It's actually my son's, but I have a feeling that, uh, like, we're, it's, you know, yeah. You take this, Michael. No. He, I, I have a feeling it's staying with uh, Mike and Naomi. Um, but anyway, red-footed tortoise, and he's, he's kind of cool too. His name's Bernard. Bernard, yeah. And, uh, and then we have a bearded dragon. And this thing, like, eats crickets like it's going out of style. Like, we visit PetSmart every week. It's like, come on, the grocery bill for the bearded dragon is like, like cutting into my grocery bill. But we have a bearded dragon, and his name's Theo. And then the newest member to the Silliman family zoo is Rico, okay? Everybody say that, Rico. 
And, and uh, by the way, I'm not even joking. His name really is Rico, and it's important that you roll the R because I was preparing for the message, and I thought, well, I'm going to kind of introduce the family zoo. And my daughter Abby just bought Rico the other day uh, because my oldest daughter is in Guatemala. Uh, Casey, if you're watching live stream, love you, sweetie. Uh, but she moved to Guatemala, and so Abby bought this uh, betta fish and named him Rico so that she's reminded to pray for her sister. Isn't that cool? That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. But I texted Abby because I couldn't remember the name of Rico, and I said, what is the name of the betta fish? And she texted me back, and I'm not even joking. She wrote, R, with about 20 R's, I-C-O. And she says, it's not Rico, R-I-C-O, it's Rico. So it's just really important. But here's the deal, okay, with our small family, our small zoo that, that's in our, our family. Uh, I've never once had a conversation with Bernard or Hurley or Theo or Rico about uh, purpose in life. I just never have. They've never come to me and said, hey, I want to talk to you about kind of this, uh, this, this, the deep questions of life and humanity, right? They've never talked to me about sin or rebellion against God. They've not talked to me to sort out their salvation uh, or anything like that. They've never brought up the concept of sin. And, um, and, and here I'm convinced that the dog, Hurley, there's only one thing on his mind. And here's, here's what's on his mind. I cannot wait till they leave, forget to put me in my kennel so I can get in the trash can right? And, and, and I'm not even joking. This is a real-life sermon illustration that happened last week. We came home, and someone, I won't even mention who, forgot to put the dog, and it wasn't me, <laughs> in the kennel. And uh, so we come home. I'm in the garage. The kids get into the house first, and all I hear is, Hurley! Right? And of course, there's trash from one end of the, of the house to the other, which brings up another whole issue about who didn't take the trash out, right? And, and so anyway, this conflict, it's amazing how an animal can bring conflict into our lives. Uh, and so, and, and so um, you know, I'm out in the garage because I got man stuff to do out there while the, the, the rest of the kids are cleaning up the house. Um, and the dog runs into the kennel like the dog knows, right? Now, you would say, see, the dog feels shame. No, the dog feels fear. He's afraid he's going to get his butt whooped. And so he scoots into this kennel as far back as he can. And he looks kind of like this, like, you know, and, and, and so that's, you know, there's a difference between the creative order, right? We are created in the image of God, and we are created to rule over and to have dominion over the rest of the creative order. Now, we are to do that not with cruelty, right? Uh, that's, we take that seriously, right? We're good stewards over the rest of the creative order, but there's clearly a difference, so much so that there are laws, there are protections, there's punishments that are put into place by God, for mankind that aren't put into place for the rest of the creative order, right? And so, for example, if you're watching the Discovery Channel or Nat Geo and there's two lions on there battling out for the pride, right? And one lion grabs the other lion by the neck and sinks its teeth into it, sheds blood, kills the other lion, nobody's calling 911, right? 
Because we expect that. They're lions, right? Now, if I take a walk down Drew Lane and I start going in, busting into doors, jumping on the backs of my neighbors to battle over who is the pride of the hood, right? The cops are getting called, right? 911's getting called. I'm going to get a nice little ride in a caged car with pretty lights. That's what's going to happen, right? And so there is something unique about being made in the image of God. We have a soul, right? We're created with a moral and a spiritual component which is not in the rest of the created order. We've been given dominion over the rest of the created order. So because we as human beings are created in the image of God, there is a sacredness and there is a sanctity to every human life, regardless of whether that human life is making choices that honor God or, or making choices that don't honor God. So in your notes, you can write this down. Since human souls bear the image of God, human life is sacred. We have to start right there. And there is such a sacredness to life that murdering an innocent human life is seen by God as an attack against the image of God. And it's punishable by death. Look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Turn there. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. And it says this. It says, whoever sheds what? Human blood by what? Human shall their blood be shed. For in the what? Image of God, the imago Dei, has God made mankind. Now this text is specifically talking about murder. There is a difference between murder and killing, and Scripture differentiates uh, between the two. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, uh, the sixth commandment is you shall not murder, right? Now, if you have a King James Version, uh, it says thou shalt not kill. The King James Version actually doesn't accurately translate that that Hebrew word, that the Hebrew word accurately translated is murder. But there are, there are times when uh, there is killing that takes place that's not murder. And I think it's important just to differentiate uh, from that. Murder, of course, is the intentionally taking a life without cause, especially with malice, forethought, premeditation. And so what are those situations? I'll just briefly mention a few. Maybe self-defense is one right? Uh, If there's a clear and present danger for your life and you take the life of another person, that's not murder. That's killing. That's not murder. And obviously there's consequences just uh, in our own life with all killing and, and, and all murder, but, but it's not murder. It's, 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 it's killing. That's different. I want to make sure there's a differentiation there. And then also uh, protecting the life of an innocent person. If you're ever placed in a position where uh, someone is at risk of losing their life and you step in and you take the life of a person, that's, that's not murder, okay? Accidental death, you know, it happens all the time. It's unfortunate, it's sad, it causes pain and, and, and struggle for, for, for us when that happens. But there's times when an accident ends and someone losing their, their, their life. There's just war. There's just war. 
Um, God, Romans chapter 13, God has ordained the government to be the carrier of the sword to exercise uh, earthly justice um, against wrong and injustice. And, um, and, you know, sometimes we're called upon to go to war, to go to battle. We take a defensive posture in war. We have a clear objectives of securing justice or remedying uh, justice or protecting the innocent uh, or the helpless or defending human rights. And, and just war is, is not murder. And so if we, if we know that all human life is sacred and there is a sanctity to all human life and that all human life is created in the image of God, it's just really, really important that we know when that happens. When does the image take place? When is a person a person, right? When, when is a person, when does a person receive this image of God? Since all humans are created in the image of God. It's important to know when, the most basic question, when does life begin? And God's word has a very clear, very clear answer uh, to this. Turn to Psalm uh, 139. We're going to, uh, we'll read a couple uh, different, um, take you a couple different places, but Psalm 139, turn there. And uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139, and this is what David says. He says, for you created my inmost being, talking to God. And then he says this, you knit, and what's the next word? You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am, what am I made? I'm, I am what? I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my what? My unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is a beautiful passage, beautiful passage that talks about the intimacy at which God has been involved in your life. And notice that it says God knitted me together. It doesn't say God knitted it. There's a person there, right? God knitted me together. Our humanness begins right here. Uh, the, the, the image of God begins Right here, the moral, the spiritual components that we alone possess as the image bearers of God has been formed, on a, formed in us while we were in the wombs. Our personality, our physical uh, stature and appearance were, were formed in the womb. There was a, a plan for your life. Think about this, which was established in the womb. Uh, the, the word is just beautiful that, that God knit that together with precision. You are you, and you are your own unique you. You have your own unique strand of DNA that was woven in the womb, right? And that's a beautiful thing. And so the sanctity of life has to begin in the womb. But actually, it actually begins a little before the womb. It begins at conception. And there's a couple places that we could go, but we'll go to Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. Psalm 51, verse 5. Take a look at that. Turn there. Psalm 51, 5. David says this. 
He says, surely I was what? Surely, sorry, you're not there yet. I hear the pages. Surely I was sinful. At, at when? when? When was I sinful? At birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So not only did you take on the image of God at conception, our moral and spiritual component of our humanness was already in rebellion towards God at the time of conception. And any parent can see this. Parents, uh, you know, if you have young kids, how many of you, yeah, maybe I won't ask you, to, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but you know who you are, right? You, you broke up some fights this week with your, your little kids, didn't you? And, and it was all because uh, somebody had a toy that the other one, you know, didn't have. Or how many of you had just an incredible, like, it, you wish you would have recorded it and put it on social media, like a meltdown by one of your kids, just because you said two little, one little word, no, Right? Yeah, what is that? That's rebellion, right? And, that, and guess what? You're born with that. that. You come out of the womb already rebelling against God. The first humans, Adam and Eve, they were created in innocence and beauty. They were created in the image of God. They decided that they would try to be God. They rebelled against God and rejected his authority. And it plunged humanity into sin and into rebellion, right? Sin marred the image of God. It's a marred image of God, but, but praise God. Jesus has come. He has come. He, he died. He rose from the dead. He, he forgives us. He creates us and, and, and into a new image, into a new image. And, and, uh, but, but, but the sinful reality is still there, right? It didn't take long for their son, Adam and Eve's son, Cain, to be filled with envy and anger, he struck his brother Abel, right? And the very first murder occurred in Scripture. Because here's the reality. A rejection of the image giver will always result in injustice against image bearers. Okay? A rejection of the image giver, a rebellion, a rejection against the image giver always results in injustice against image bearers. Bearers, And we do this by dehumanizing people. We do this by stripping them of their dignity and their sanctity. We do this. All of us in this room are guilty of this. We assign labels to people that are less than human. And we uh, give people titles. And, and really, when we, when we call somebody and we label somebody something that is less than human, we do this to justify our stripping them of their image, the image of God that they were, they were created with. And so we do this by uh, giving them labels like loser, guilty, right, or addict, or uh, crazy guy that lives down the street, right? Uh, and, and, and we do this. And, and our history is marred by this as well. You know, the slavery movement did this by dehumanizing African Americans, recognizing them. Check this out. This is crazy. Recognizing them as three-fifths of a human. See what's happening there? We dehumanize people, dehumanize African Americans to justify the treatment, the poor treatment of them, to justify our, uh, our desire to want to strip them of their dignity and of the, their, their image. 
and, 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 we con- and they were considered a subhuman. That's horrible. Our, our Asia's Hope team is in Cambodia right now. Um, it's actually 11, 11 p.m., and so, team, if you're watching us via live stream, hello, we're praying for you guys. Uh, but our Asia's Hope team is in Cambodia right now. We're 2 million people in the 70s, not too long ago. 2 million people in, in the 70s were murdered by an evil man named Pol Pot and his regime. He wanted to take Cambodia back to year zero. That was his whole mission and, and start over, and his, his, he was trying to be God, and his regime would seek out educated people, uh, ethnic minorities, religious minorities. He would force them to work in labor camps, and children and babies were not exempt from their cruelty. In fact, it was often said, I read this quote this week, that this is what they would say. This is what his regime, Pol Pot's regime would say, to stop the weeds, you must also pull up their roots. See the dehumanization? Don't see them as weeds? What? They're humans. Right? During the Holocaust, the Nazis referred to Jews as rats rather than humans, murdering six million people. During the genocide in Rwanda, the Hutus called the the Tutsis cockroaches rather than humans, murdering over one million people. And I could go on and on and on. And the most vulnerable is the unborn. The label that we give to unborn humans are clumps of tissue, collection of cells, fetuses. Even though there's a heartbeat at eight weeks, the baby sucks their thumb. All of the organs of the baby are working. The heart is circulating blood throughout the body. The baby's kidneys are flushing the baby's fluids. A soul is in place. A brand new strand of DNA is in place. Birth to conception. The baby feels pain. If you try to draw blood off the heel of a baby in the womb, the baby recoils its leg. From the, from the pricking pain. And since 1973, there have been 61 million legalized abortions in the United States alone. 61 million. And we keep adding to that number a little less than a million a year. And those numbers are going down, praise God for that, but not fast enough. 61 million humans created in the image of God. What does that do to you in your heart? God knitted together these babies in the womb and man tore them from the womb. These little babies were murdered. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And I understand that this has become this very complicated political issue um, but I'm not, I'm not even looking at this from a political viewpoint. We, we don't take our cues from a political party here. We take our cues from the word of God. And it's absolutely evil. And it's absolutely sickening. And, and again, I want to bring in the grace here. And I, I recognize, ladies, that this hits a really raw part for you. And I realize that... Um, Men who uh, have not 
taken on responsibility. They love the sex, right? But then when the baby comes, they flee and they're gone. And the woman is left carrying the brunt of this decision on their shoulders and they're filled with fear and gripped with fear. So I I understand the complexities in all of that. And by the way, it ticks me off that men do this. And at Grace, you know, if you've been around here uh, for any length of time, we're, we're doing our part, we're doing our best to teach men to step up, to be responsible. But the answer isn't to take an unborn life. We want to come alongside of not only uh, those moms that are considering um, abortion, but those who have already made that sad choice. And we recognize that uh, your pain is great. And we want to we walk alongside of you. And we want to give you grace. And we want to we, we want to help you seek forgiveness that comes from Jesus. But all of this is a rejection of and a rebellion against the image giver. It's seeking to take the created order that God has put into place and kind of saying, okay, uh, I know that humans are the jewel and the crown that God created, but I'm, I'm going to actually slide the animals up a little bit higher than the humans. That happens. Uh, matter of fact, that happens um, often. I, I read something this week that's just incredible, and it's just alarming. In Switzerland, um, uh, Switzerland outlaws boiling lobsters alive because the lobsters feel pain. But this is in a country where abortion is legal. That the new law requires that the bottom feeder be transported in salt water and be dead before boiling. You can get arrested. You can get thrown in jail if you boil a lobster alive in Switzerland, but you can drive down to the abortion clinic and you can, you can take the life of an unborn baby. There's something evil in that. Do you not see that? And by the way, lobsters don't even have a brain. So scientists aren't even sure how they, how they process pain. There's, it's just crazy. But that's not all. Switzerland, listen to this, has amended its constitution to recognize the individual dignity of plants. Okay, not ecosystems. I'm not talking about protecting our ecosystem. That's a very important, right? We're talking about individual plant dignity. One state or Canton in Switzerland, assigns a lawyer, listen to this, to represent animals. One such lawyer sued a fisherman for taking too long to reel a fish in. Do you see the problem with that? A GMO researcher seeking to find a way to prevent fungus from spoiling wheat could only obtain government financing when he asserted that the research would be beneficial for the wheat. Not beneficial for humanity, but beneficial for the wheat. The country has outlawed, this is true, the country has outlawed flushing a living goldfish down the toilet. What that means is if I were to flush Rico down the toilet (laughs) and I lived in Switzerland, I'd be in big trouble. Rico's safe regardless. He really is. But... But here's the other crazy thing. In, in Switzerland, in addition to abortion, Switzerland allows for something called suicide tourism, where people visit Switzerland to get an assisted suicide. The Swiss Supreme Court also declared assisted suicide for the mentally ill 
and gave that a constitutional right. So do you see what's happening? Satan has blinded the eyes of the world, and now we're reordering the created order, placing even animals above, above humans. There's something very evil about that. And again, I'm not certainly uh, for the cruelty of animals. Okay, don't, don't mishear me. But if, if, if that is what we feel about animals, how much more should we feel about humans who are created, created in the image of God? Now, being pro-life is way, way bigger uh, than just the unborn, okay? The unborn are the most vulnerable, uh, but we need to get involved to understand, to help, to be pro-life after birth as much as we are pro-life before birth. You don't have an opportunity to choose uh, what part of being pro-life you are. As followers of Christ, we take a position uh, of compassion toward the sick, towards the poor, towards the, the homeless, towards the aged, towards the mentally challenged, towards the inmate, towards the refugee, towards the addicted. Being pro-life is being rooted in the word of God. It's not rooted in political ideology or a political party. Now, we do our part in the political arena. We should do that, right? We involve ourselves in in the election. We involve ourselves politically and we vote our values and our conscience to make a difference. We need to do that, but we take our stand because of what the Word of God says, not what our political party says. And if we hitch our wagons to just aligning ourselves politically, here's what's going to happen. We might win in the area of abortion, but we'll still, we, we still won't see other people as image bearers of God. We'll pick and choose who we, who we see as the image bearers of God. Do you see why that's important? To see what God's word says? Not align ourselves with, with a, of a political party necessarily on that. We don't take our cues there. And so the sanctity of life is the foundation. We lay the foundation out here with the sanctity of life. But compassion and love is our motivation. Compassion and love is our motivation. Now, I've given you a whole lot of bad news. I, I, I realize that. But in the midst of all of that mess, in the midst of all of that bad news, in steps Jesus. In steps Jesus. And we want to love people in a way that mirrors the way Jesus loved people. He mirrored the image of God perfectly because he is the image of the invisible God. And so we, we take our cues from Jesus. We, we observe how he treated people. And, and Jesus always treated people as people. He, he, he uh, went against the political climate of his day. He refused to align himself with a political party. And he looked at people and locked eyes with people in a way that, that gave them dignity. And, 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 and he loved and, and cared for people in an incredible way. And I want to just look at one of those ways. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to look at the first three verses there. Matthew chapter 8. Let's, let's look at this together. It says this. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, 
Large crowds followed him. Check out verse 2. A man with what? If you're there, read it. What is it? Leprosy. He came and he knelt before Jesus and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, check out what Jesus did. He did something that is so massively against the norm. It's mind-blowing what Jesus did. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Don't miss that. And what did Jesus say? What were the three words? I am willing, he said, be clean immediately. He was cleansed by his leprosy, of his leprosy. Jesus was pro-life. He was pro-life, and he said the most pro-life thing we could say to a person like a leper, I am willing. See, it was the law for lepers to wear torn clothes, to keep the top of their head uncovered, their hair kind of unkept, but to cover the lower part of their face, and they were forced to cry out loudly as they were walking down the street, unclean, unclean, giving everybody an opportunity to just step aside, to cross to the other side of the street. They were forced to live alone and forced to live away from the community. And and, and we see Jesus here making a pro-life statement that every one of us, that and, and this is the statement, every person, Every life is precious to God. Jesus was moved with compassion. Check out what he was not. He was not filled with fear. He was not filled with disgust or judgment. He wasn't influenced by the Pharisees or the political climate of the day. And we need to react to all people, especially the marginalized, with love and compassion. It's what Jesus calls us to do as image bearers. Jesus not only touched a man who probably hadn't felt a human touch in years. In years. Imagine that. Imagine going years without a handshake, without a fist bump or a high five, without a hug or without an embrace from someone. Man, I got probably 25 hugs this morning. It's walking through grace. I shook probably 100 hands this morning. Imagine going years without a human touch touch. And Jesus entered in to this man's pain. And he said, I am willing. I am willing. That's what Jesus wants us to to be and do. He wants us to be a people that would say, I am willing. He wants us to be a people that lock eyes with people in, in pain. To take the time to sit down and hear their story. Instead of being so angry at the choices that they're making, what if we actually asked them, hey, tell me your story. And out of that, you begin to hear a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And all of a sudden, rather than being so judgmental over the choices, the sinful choices that they're making, all of a sudden you kind of understand a little bit of why they're making those choices. And you're able to point them to, to Jesus. You're able to point them to the, to the healer. So the question is, who are the lepers today that you've been walking across the street from? Who are they? Who are the people whose worth you have reduced or discounted or labeled? 
I'll just offer a couple possibilities. Is it the refugees? How about Muslims? How about undocumented immigrants? How about those on welfare? How about the homeless? How about someone who is not in the same political party as you? What labels have you given them? See, everyone, no matter who they are, listen to me, no matter who they are, no matter what they offer, no matter what they've done, they have value and they have dignity because they were created by God and in the image of God. And when we look at other human beings through a distorting lens of culture, of politics, of patriotism, of fear, we fail to see them, honestly, as God, as God sees people, made in his own image with a priceless value. So what do we do in a response to a message like this? Like, what, what should we do? Well, first thing we should do is we should repent, right? Allow God to search your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to point out the areas. Maybe you don't even realize the labels that you've put on people. I've had to do that this week as well, and God convicted me of that, of some, some very specific ways that I'm not even really thinking I'm devaluing people, but I really am. And so we repent of that. That's the first thing. Second thing we do is, is we will not see people the way God sees people unless it's it's the Holy Spirit in us empowering us to do, to do that. We, it's not in us to be able. Our, it's what's in us is to devalue humanity, not to add value to humanity. And, and when we do add value or see people uh, as image bearers, that's, that's a, you know, we do that. There are glimpses of that that show up, you know, where, where a stranger helps someone. I'm not, I don't want to take away from that. But to really, truly love someone and to really, truly have compassion for someone, we need the Holy Spirit's help. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit, God, give me eyes to see. Give me that ability through your spirit to help me see people, to treat people like you would want me to see people. And I want to encourage you this week to get out of your comfort zone. That's your warning. (laughs) To get out of your comfort zone this week and say, I am willing And I want you to enter into someone's pain this week. I want you to walk across the street, somebody that you would avoid maybe. And I want you to enter into somebody's pain this week. And I want you to see them through a different set of lenses. You know, as a church, we are leveraged here. God has called us as the church. We are the plan A. There is no plan B to be the image of God to a lost and a hurting world. Like, it's up to us to change the spiritual climate in Goshen and Elkhart and Warsaw and, you know, Shipshawana and Middlebury. And I'm sorry if I left anybody out. New Paris, we'll go on and on all day. But in your community, like, that's our role as the church. So, so we do that individually. We should all be doing that individually, but we should be doing that collectively, you know. Jump in. You know, you may or may not know this, but we have, uh, we have care communities here set up at Grace uh, for uh, people that come alongside foster families, right? Families that have said, you know what, I'll take that unwanted child into my home. 
And so we've created a community to come alongside of this foster family and to make them meals periodically, to do their laundry, to give them a call and say, hey, how can I help you this week? You can do that, right? You could be a part of that. There's a, a bunch of foster families in our church, and we only can create these communities uh, based on how many people we have to create these com- care communities. And so, you know, that's something very tangibly. You can reach out to Pastor John. He organizes all of that. You, know, you can show up here on a Thursday morning if you have some time, and you can, you can cook meals for, for those who are less fortunate. We have a lot of them that show up here Thursday morning. And uh, we, we cook a meal for them, a breakfast for them. But then uh, at times, you know, our staff will go over and we'll sit down at the table with them. And, and we'll ask them their name and we'll lock eyes with them and we'll ask them to share their story and we'll pray with them. You know, those are some simple ways that as a church we can, we can do something about it, right? That's what God wants us to be and that's what God wants us to do. The question is, are you willing? The question is, are you willing? Would you pray with me? Lord, we recognize today, God, that you have created us in your image. That's absolutely amazing. When our heart beats, it beats alongside of your heart. And God, we do repent of the ways that we have tarnished that image, where we have labeled people, whole groups of people or individuals, people who are struggling, human beings, and we've dehumanized them, Lord. Lord, we need your help. Would you, would you help us to see people like you see people? Lord, would you help us to, when everybody else is walking across the street in fear and judgment, we want to, kind of be, we want to be the kind of people that run to the people in pain and to touch them and to enter into their pain and to say, us into those kind of people. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name.